As uh, we, we get started, we have just finished a, a series where we have talked about uh, being a hero for God or, or using our, our best for God or getting involved in, in his, his plans. And last week, we sort of wrapped it up with a, a pretty challenging message that, that reminded us that we're not supposed to just sit idly by and watch the problems of the world and, and talk about them and... and, and have Bible studies and all that kind of stuff. We are actually called to get our hands dirty, to get involved, to, to be the hands and feet of God in the world. And, and as we wrap that up and start to move towards the fall, the, the one thing I don't want us to fall into the trap of is thinking that, that we're going to be able to make God happy on our own. I, I, I don't want you to make the mistake that I actually think that you could do what we talked about last week by yourself. You see, the, the, thing that we, the thing that we tend to do in American Christianity especially is it's so much a part of our culture that if we just, if we just try a little harder, if we just hitch up our, 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 our belt, if we, if we just put a little more effort into it, if we just willed it, that we could be a better Christian, that we, that we could just... And you know... We, we are supposed to give ourselves completely over to God. We are supposed to, to care about our relationship. But the fact of the matter is, is that we, we can do nothing without him. John chapter uh, 15, verse 5 says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you'll abide in me, if you'll live in me, you, you'll bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. And what, what we want to do as we, as we get ready to move into the next step, as we come out of this challenging series, is remind ourselves, how do we abide in Him? How, how do we connect with Him in such a way that He can use us so that we can be those people that He wants us to be? How can, how can, we, how can we transform our selfishness into His loving mercy? How can we change from somebody who, who doesn't care to someone whose heart breaks at injustice? And it's not through effort, it's through submission. It's a word we hate in America, submission. Where, where, we, where we give up our agenda for someone else. Where we say, I, it's not for me, it's for you. And that's the, that's the essence of Christianity. You have to come to a place where you die to yourself before you can be raised with Christ. That new creation that we are promised to become only happens if the old self dies. But for many of us, we try to hold on to that old self. We try Because if we can, you know, I'll follow, as long as I get to drive, I'll, I'll do it as long as... It's not until we get to the point that we say, you know what? It doesn't work the way I do it. It doesn't, I, I'm not good at running my own life. The things that I thought were right were wrong. The things that I thought would be good for me ended up being bad. The, the friends I had, the things I did, the, things, the, the job I chased. It, when it comes down to it, I don't know what's best for me. Maybe I should submit myself to the authority of God and follow his will rather than my own. Well, there's, there's a discipline, there's a practice, there's a a gift that God gives us that allows us to grow in that, and it's prayer. And so for the, for the next five weeks, we are going to concentrate on, on prayer. 
It's one of our membership vows that when you join the church, you say, uh, will you support this church with your prayers, your presence, your gifts, and your service? It's, it's, it's one of our stewardship vows. It's, it's a part of the Christian life. It's, but it is, it is a vital link to, to growth, to abiding in the vine, that we, like what it says in John 15. It, it, it is vital to us, but it's also one of the biggest mysteries of the, of the church. And so what we're, we're going to break down uh, prayer over the next five weeks, and what we're going to use is the Lord's Prayer, something that you're all familiar with. We're going to take it in phrases and, and talk about it. The reason we're going to use it is because it's what Jesus gave as instruction of how to pray. And in Luke, uh, Jesus was teaching and going through life, and the disciples always noticed, you know, they got to watch him heal, they got to watch him teach and preach and work with the Pharisees and see how he reacted to people who didn't like him, they got to see him uh, with the poor and the people with problems, they got to, but the thing, one of the things that just, that they got out of watching him more than anything else was there was something different about how he prays. And in the Gospel of Luke, it says Jesus had gone off to pray by himself and the disciples overheard him. And after, after he finished, they came up to him and said, Jesus, can you teach us how to pray like that? Can, it's, it's different than we see anywhere else. It's, it's not like the rabbis. It's not like ours. When we pray, you know, we're asking for something and, the, and you know, we throw in some holy language every once in a while and, and it sounds good before Thanksgiving dinner when dad does, but it, it's just not like you're, there's, there's a depth to your prayer. There's, a, there's something in your prayer that ours don't have. Can you teach us how to pray? And his response was this Lord's Prayer. We're actually going to use the version in Matthew because Matthew has a little fuller uh, version of the Lord's Prayer the, of what, we're expected, uh, what we expect as the Lord's Prayer than does Luke. And so we're going to be in, in Matthew chapter 6, uh, and we're going to go through it in the next week, phrase by phrase, trying to unlock some of the, some of the things that Jesus was trying to get across to us of how we pray. And our hope is through this, from the beginning of this church, we have said that we, we can't do, in fact, John 15, 5 is etched on the sidewalk out there. It's part of the, if you look at my original vision paper on the, on the church, that was the, the verse I pulled out of that because it's deep within my belief that churches, that we as Christians, that anyone trying to follow God, if you are not connecting in prayer, the place where we get to share our heart with God, and more importantly, we get to have his heart shared with us, that we're just, we're just spitting in the wind. It's only through prayer that we accomplish anything of worth. And so that's what it, it is so important. And before we move into this fall, as we're sort of shifting gears and, and ready to rededicate ourselves to, to building the kingdom of God, we need to make sure that we're doing it in a way that actually may lead to success by opening ourselves up to, to God's will for us. So uh, the, the Lord's Prayer, we say it all the time. We're going to break it down, and you're going to see little different words. This is out of our New Living Translation, and so they've made it into a little more uh, common English. I'll, I'll say it for you in the other way so that 
you don't freak out and think that I'm changing the words on you or whatever. But in response, after the disciples come up and said, Jesus, can you teach us to pray? He said, okay, you want to learn how to pray? This is how you pray. That's, the Lord's Prayer was a model prayer for us. Okay? So he says, pray like this. And he starts off, our Father in heaven. We are used to saying our Father which art in heaven. And there is art in heaven, I think. But... Uh, uh, you don't have to say that part unless your name is Art and you happen to be in heaven. So, that uh, our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy, or other versions will say, may your name be honored, or we're used to saying, hallowed be your name. May your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Okay, that's, that's what we're going to focus on today. And, and as, we, as we start, we're going to start right at the beginning. And, and in this first sentence is, is the miracle and the mystery of prayer are wrapped together in, in one phrase. The miracle and the mystery of prayer comes to us through, through that, that first sentence. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. As, as Jesus was talking to his disciples, a, a Jewish audience, a people who grew up with this understanding that God was, was other, that he was transcendent, that, that you respected God, you feared God. The stories they would tell of people that would accidentally tar- touch the Ark of the Covenant and be struck dead, at the, the people who didn't follow in their commands, that they were destroyed, that, that God's punishment came on people who didn't respect him and fear him. There was this, there was this awe over God. And, and, and Jesus, once he, he breaks through that. And, and more than that, you didn't, you didn't call God by name. It, that's what Yahweh was. It was a way of saying God without saying it. It was a, a name that they could use. And when they wrote it, they didn't write. In fact, still in Jewish Bibles, they'll put G-D and, and leave O because you don't write the name of God because he is so much greater and other than. But to start off their prayer, Jesus gives an amazing phrase to begin with. Our Father. I mean, it's, we miss it because it's so much a part of what we've grown up knowing, and it's just this prayer we say every week. But it's, it's shocking in its familiarity to, that to this God of the universe, this God of power, this God of might, Jesus starts his prayer by saying, Our Father. Our, like you could actually have a relationship with him. Like he was closer than, than just some being that's out there that got the stuff started that, that you could actually expect a give and take. That as Jesus was trying to think of the best words to describe the relationship, the one he came with was the familial relationship of Father. Wrapped in the next phrase that reminds us that he's still the God of power. Hallowed be thy name. 
of God in heaven. It reminds us where he's at. It reminds us of who he is. It reminds us that we need to awe and respect him, but he wraps it together in a phrase that begins, Our Father. And we can just rush past that and we can say, well, that's pretty. Our Father in heaven. Great. I start my prayers, dear God, heavenly Father. I mean, it's not just an address. It's not just a tagline on an email. This is the theology of prayer that Jesus wanted to get across. In theological terms, there's what you call transcendence, which reminds us of God's otherness, that he is not bound by the world, that he is not bound by our laws, he's not bound by law, uh, gravity, he's not bound by time, he's not bound by space. There are no limits to his power. That's his transcendence, his otherness. We cannot forget that. And I think in, in modern times, we tend to forget that. We like a God that we can put in our pocket. We like a God that we get to control. We like a God who is dependent on us to make decisions for the universe. We like a God that we get to tell Him what He should do. I know I've said it. I've heard it from other people. You don't have to walk out of here feeling bad if you've said it, but how, how limiting are we when we'll say things like, well, I wouldn't be able to believe in a God who would do X. You think your opinion actually matters to a God who has all power and strength? To someone who was able to speak into existence everything around us? It didn't even take effort. He spoke and the world was created. He spoke and out of nothingness came everything. That God doesn't need our permission for anything. That God doesn't need us at all. That God is so much bigger and, and more unimaginably large and awesome than, than we can even begin to think about. That's what we need to remember. That that God, in his transcendence, the other, theolo- the, the other theological term you get to walk out of here with, <laughs> you're getting a little theology lesson this morning, transcendence, the opposite of that is eminence. And they don't make sense together, but God somehow brings them together. The God who is other, eminence means with us, a part of us. Intimate, close. That this God who is other becomes God who is close. This God who is all-powerful gives us God who is friend. This God who is awesome and unimaginable gives us God who we can talk to and relate to. It's it's mind-blowing to think about. We, We in our culture have so minimized this relationship with God. We do one of two things with him. We either think that, oh, when we talk to God, that he's he's either sheriff God, you know, that's just up there waiting for us to... I got a ticket yesterday. We went and we drove to Abilene and we dropped off Sydney and, and we were driving back. I was in a hurry and I was going a little faster and we come into this little town, you know, where it drops 70 to 55. Come over the hill. I was slowing down, but I just didn't slam. And they're stopped right there at the fire. And of course, boop, there that, oh, you're going 61 and a 55, sir. I'm going to have to get, are you kidding me? Come on. I forgot where I was even going with that. (laughs) 
I think it was just, com- I think it was just confession. I just needed to let you know that I'm, I, don't, I have no idea where I was going with that. There was a point behind it. And, oh, Sheriff, thank you. And that's what we think about God, that he's just up there waiting for us. And, you know, we're trying, and I was going to slow down, but man, that God, he's just, oh, and he's just waiting for me to make a mistake. And that's one of the ways we think about him. Or the other one is Grandpa God, that, you know, he's just this, you know, he's got rules, but he's Grandpa. Come on. If, 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 he, if we do something wrong, all you got to do is go, cool. God, I'm sorry. And, and he'll, he's going to forgive you. And, and that's why everybody ends up in heaven anyway, because grandpa God can't actually make anyone sit in time out. You know, we, that's the way we, that is not the God of scripture. That's not the God that Jesus pointed us towards. It's not the God of experience. The God that we get the privilege of talking to is able to do anything and everything he wants. He is not dependent on anything. He has no start. He has no end. He has no limitations. There is absolutely nothing that he cannot do. There is no power greater than him. There is no power that didn't come from him. He is, he is everything that you, you can imagine. And that God has offered, did we lose, there it goes. That God has offered me and you the chance to come to him and say, our father. I hope you don't miss that because if you can grasp that, if you can get that concept of prayer, it will, it will revolutionize that relationship. It changes everything. We are such spoiled kids when it comes to our prayer lives most of the time. Well, if you don't give me what I want, God, then I'm not going to follow you. You either give me my things or I'm, I'm going to take my money and go to another church or another faith. <laughs> Do you actually think that the God of all power needs your money? Need your half-hearted concern. No, he doesn't need anything from you. He invites you into a relationship. He invites you into a place where you can have the things that you don't. He invites you into a place where you can have joy and happiness and grace and love and forgiveness and mercy. He doesn't need anything from us, but what we find is we need everything from him. And if you can get this part right, then the rest of the prayer makes sense. But if we don't get this part right, then we misunderstand the rest of the prayer. Next phrase is a good example of that. We've said this a hundred times. You have repeated this prayer in your mind over and over and over again. But in the back of our minds, as we say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, the thing that we are thinking the thing that we, that we are hoping is that what God's kingdom is, is related to my happiness and my blessing. And so build your kingdom through me, on me, around me, 
so that all your blessings and all your riches might fall into my lap. If we could actually put into words the prayer that we would like to say, it would be this. May my kingdom come in such a way that you would approve of it and everyone around me would see it and know what a good person I am. What we are actually praying, the words we are actually saying are much different than that. It's may your kingdom come. You want to know the difference between your average, everyday, go-to-church-on-Sunday Christian and a committed, wholehearted-for-Christ Christian? 90% of the people in the pews on a Sunday morning, they want to follow God, they, but they're still trying to get God to bless their plans. Whereas a fully committed Christian has said, enough with my plans, they don't work. I am, fully, I am on board for whatever you want in my life. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What we are praying there is, that's the submission part. And if, if, you, if you don't understand the first part, that this all-powerful, almighty God, who has the ability to do it, who has, is taking history in a direction, who has already told us the end of the story, that evil will be conquered, justice will be reinstated, that we can have eternal life through him, that he will restore things to the way he originally had planned, that, that at the end we will look back and say, it it was perfect the way you did it. We don't get the full picture now, but we will get to look back and say, it was perfect how you did it. What the next sentence says is understanding your power, your might, who you are, we are more than willing to give our trust and our faith to you for your kingdom, for your plans. And we actually think that you have enough power and we, that you have enough influence that you can take the future of the way it is in heaven, that you can take the future, you can take your power and you can actually, and justice, and you could actually rain down some of that on us right now. That we don't have to wait until the sweet by and by in order to experience God, that he can, we can experience him here on, and now on earth as it is in heaven. This is just our opening. We're going to take this through the next five weeks. But if, if, we don't, if we don't get this right, we're not going to make any progress on the rest of it. The thing I want you to take out of here is the absolutely overwhelming idea that our transcendent, awesome God gives a rip what you have to say. I, I want you to think about that. I think this is a place where people who didn't grow up in Christianity have a better concept of it because you talk to people who are non-Christians and you talk about prayer and stuff and they'll say questions like, you actually believe that a God who has all power over the universe is worried about the little minute details of your life? You're that egotistical to think that they they at least get the dissonance in that statement. Those of us that were raised in the church, oh, of course God cares about me. I'm me. I, who else would he care about? We have to rediscover that amazement 
that God cares what I think. That He cares how I feel. That He cares how I relate with people. That He cares the things I'm worried about, the things I'm afraid about. That the that he wants to give me wisdom, that he wants to, to guide me, that he wants to protect me, that he wants to, to, to use me and work through me, that he wants to strengthen me and grow me, that he wants to break me and, and, and show me my sin. That he... we, we have so much to discover as we're trying to relate to him. And I'll just give you a little hint where we're going. You know what? The highest ideal of Christianity is not your happiness. If we're going to pray, your will be done, your kingdom come, sometimes as a good loving parent, you have to break your kids' hearts, right? Sometimes you have to say no. Sometimes you have to, something that makes perfect sense to them, you have to tell them that's not the best way for it. You can't be a good parent if you're not willing to say no to your kids. God can't be a good God if, he's not willing, if, if He always gives us our way. We have to learn that sometimes the reason that it, it's, it's part of life that we have to be brokenhearted. It's part of life that we have to go through difficulties. It's part of life that you have to go through challenges. It's not that He's withdrawn Himself from you. It's that He loves you so much that He's trying to teach you something. And He's never abandoning you while you're there. He's always there for you. Well, that's another sermon. We're going to get there later. But I, 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 want, I want to get that out for you so you can start resonating on that. You mean God doesn't want me to be happy? No, He doesn't want you to be happy. He wants you to be joyful. Happiness is about circumstances. Joy is about a relationship. Joy doesn't change. Circumstances and happiness change all the time. Joy doesn't change. That's why Paul could be in prison, being getting beat by guards, starving to death in the dark, having all his friends abandon him and say, the joy of the Lord is my strength. I, I rejoice in the Lord. I give thanks to him for who he is and what he's done for me. I, I want nothing more than to, than to give my whole life to him because he had joy, not happiness. He promises us joy. He doesn't promise us happiness. The way we're going to end the service, I'm going to, uh, the ushers are going to pass out some little uh, prayer journals to you. What our worship committee has gotten them, and uh, as they're going to sort of pass them out in just a minute as sort of a reverse offering. We'll pass a basket. You get to take something out this time instead of put it in. And we want everyone to take one. And they're just little, and, and we did that on purpose. One of the things, guys, I know you because I'm one. We think spirituality is women's stuff, right? And if I would have gotten a bigger prayer journal with the flower on it and stuff, you would have just, it just would have reinforced that stereotype. So I got you a little, it's just a little thing, and you, it fits in your pocket, fits it. But we just want, and we don't expect that this is going to transform your life, but we, we want to we wanna encourage you to experiment with this thing called prayer. And what, one of the disciplines throughout the ages that has proven itself is that when you journal in spirituality, that it can be a way to grow. When you write down your thoughts of prayer, as I was praying this morning, it seemed like I was, I was unable to break through the ceiling. Or as I was praying this morning, it seemed like God's presence was right there with me. Thank you, God, for that. 
Or I was, so, I was so worried about work today, I couldn't even concentrate and pray. Help me to do better tomorrow. It, there's something about journaling that, that gives strength and, and helps you. And, and for some, I'll tell you, I am not good at this. Lori, my wife, awesome at that. Her spiritual disciplines are so much stronger than mine. She is a journaler. She's a note taker. She can do this all the time. I do it every once in a while as a discipline, and it, and it feels like a discipline to me. I have to work at it. But when I do, it seems like God honors it in a way to draw me closer to him. And so what we want to ask you to do is use these. And if it ends up in what the prayer that's in there is the prayer from last week, the fourfold blessing from St. Francis. We're going to sort of have that as a challenge prayer for you for the day. If you end up using it as a grocery list, that's all right. And as you write down milk, bread, eggs, just know that God's the one that gave them to you. So uh, somehow we're going to, we, we think that this might help you, but we hope that you'll be able to use these. And as you are thinking about how we pray to this God, how we open conversation to our Father, how we put in words the awesomeness of who He is and what He's done for us, I'm going to show you a little video that might help you with some, with some adjectives, with some vocabulary to use as you go to conversation with our Father. The Bible says, my king is the king of the Jews. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder, do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the miracle of the age. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he beautifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. Well, he's the key to knowledge. He's the wellspring of wisdom. He's the doorway of deliverance. He's the pathway of peace. He's the roadway of righteousness. He's the highway of holiness. He's the gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, 
His office is manifold. His promise is sure. His life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy. And his burden is light. I wish I could describe him to you. He's invincible. He's irresistible. Well, you can't get him out of your mind. You can't, you can't get him off of your head. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. Well, the Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him, and the grave couldn't hold him. I tried that in front of the mirror and it lost its power and stuff, so we went with that. That's just the beginning of what you have to, to open your conversation with. That's just a, that's just a, a small piece of who he is. We could go on for days and days and days with all the things we have to glorify him about. So as you begin your prayers, as you open those journals, as you as you go to address that, that Savior, that Lord, there, there are not enough words to do it justice, but find something to say to recognize it. We're going to close our service this morning by singing an old hymn, uh, Softly and Tenderly, and it's, it's a hymn of invitation. It's a, a hymn that, that calls us as sinners back home, and, and home is not just a location on a map. Home with God is, is a place at the heart of God, in the hands of God. And I think that's what prayer is. It's a call home. Quit running around. Quit trying to do things on your own. Quit trying to, to do it without me. Come home and enjoy the relationship that you can have with me. So as we, as we sing this song together, I hope that would be your prayer. And as we sing that song, I just want to make an invitation. If there's anyone that's looking for